Hey, you're listening to Quad Dog Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm your host, Kenny Price. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Today's podcast, a true story of miraculous rescue. Providential deliverance from danger. I was on my way home from a ministry meeting in Fort Worth, Texas. The quickest route to my house was to hop on the Interstate 30 freeway, which would provide me uninterrupted passage to the exit just two miles north of my house. Traveling, traveling east on I-30, I passed the freeway sign that notified me that the Beach Street exit was just up ahead. My mind, which was free-floating at the time, just engaged in getting home, began to be bothered about the Beach Street exit sign. A senior adult woman who had been a faithful member of my church had been relocated to a rancid nursing home just a couple of blocks off of Beach Street. I'll say more about the rancid part in just a minute. For the sake of making it easier for you to track with me in this true story, I will call the woman Mrs. Johnson. The ultimate point of this story is more than who this person was, but what God did on behalf of this person. When I first met Mrs. Johnson, she was a resident in an assisted living center in Fort Worth. As the new pastor of the church, the other senior ladies in my congregation made me aware of this sister saint who had been unable to attend church since having to relocate to the center. I visited her at the assisted living center on a regular basis. It was a first-class facility that was full of life. One time I brought my wife and youngest child with me to visit, and my child told me he would like to live in a place like where Mrs. Johnson lived. It was that nice. Mrs. Johnson had moved into the assisted living center due to increasing physical difficulty as a result of lung disease. One day I received a phone call from one of my church members that Mrs. Johnson had been moved by her family to a nursing home because it had come to a point where she could no longer care for herself in her assisted living apartment. Her need had increased to full nursing care. I have visited a lot of nursing homes in my 43 years of ministry. The full care nursing facility where Mrs. Johnson had been moved to was the worst I had ever been in. The worst. The stench of urine in the stale, humid air hit my nostrils instantly as I walked through the door. I have a strong olfactory system, for real. The bombardment of my senses with this warm, stale smell of urine was extremely uncomfortable. The facility itself was as opposite of the assisted living center as you could get. It was so bad. I had a sick feeling that perhaps her family was trying to hasten her death. This statement may shock you and my assessment may seem ridiculous, but I'm telling you that after my first visit in Mrs. Johnson's new location, I went home and told my wife that it was so bad that no caring child would ever put their parent in a place like that. If it was the only place in town, perhaps you could do it out of desperation. But in a large metropolitan area like the Dallas-Fort Worth area, it was inexcusable inexcusable. So the debate that quickly ensued in my mind as I approached the Beach Street exit was one of guilt. I had not visited Mrs. Johnson as regularly 
because of the stench of the nursing home made me sick. Mixed with moral responsibility, I really needed to check on Mrs. Johnson. I was her pastor. I knew that there was no excuse for not stopping by and caring for Mrs. Johnson when I was so close. Easy exit off and easy exit right back on the freeway. So I exited Beach Street. As I entered Mrs. Johnson's room, she was by herself in a wheelchair, facing away from the door. She was in the middle of a breathing treatment. With two asthmatic kids, I recognized the clear hose and the sound of the nebulizer machine. I called out to Mrs. Johnson as I entered the room. How are you doing, Mrs. Johnson? She immediately began to cry out, still facing away from me. Oh, you've got to help me. They're trying to kill me. She repeated this over and over. As I got closer, I noticed her hair was dirty and the appearance of someone who had struggled all night from a bad asthma attack. I had ministered to others in this situation, and it will just take you down to nothing as you fight for your life. She kept repeating over and over that I had to help her, that they were trying to kill her. I got around to the other side of her wheelchair and asked her what was going on. She said that there were people there who had come to her, male night workers, offering to sell her drugs. She told them that she was not interested and that the only drugs she took were the ones she needed to stay alive. She said she had witnessed these same men bringing in cases of beer and partying, partying overnight in one of the empty rooms just down the hall from her. When she refused to give them money, they told her that they were going to come for her one night and sexually abuse her. She was terrified. I asked her if she had told her family caregiver about what was going on. She said yes. She said her family caregiver talked to the people at the nursing home. The nursing home's response was to send in a psychiatrist to evaluate Mrs. Johnson. She said that the doctor said that she was having bouts of psychosis, a severe mental disorder in which thought and emotions are so impaired that contact is lost with reality. In other words, the doctor told the family that the threats and abuse were not real, that Mrs. Johnson was losing her mind. I began to question her about various things to see if I could tell if she was in fact losing touch with reality. She knew who I was by name, that I was her pastor. She knew what day it was. Just then a man entered the room and said he was there to repair her phone line that he'd been told that she was having a problem with her phone. She responded to him by frantically saying the same thing over and over to him as she had said to me. I told him to check her line. While the phone repairman was still there, a nursing home attendant came in the room. She took the nebulizer cup out of Mrs. Johnson's hand, the machine had been running all this time, and began to lecture Mrs. Johnson. Now, Mrs. Johnson, there is nothing in your nebulizer cup. You have already had your treatment. Anytime you think you have not had your treatment, you need to look at the board first to help you remember. I looked over at the board the attendant was referring to. There was nothing written on the board. I spoke up to the attendant and said, there is nothing written on that board. She said, oh, well, we forgot to write this morning's treatment on the board, but she has already had the breathing treatment today. She then went and wrote down the treatment 
along with the time on the board. This scene raised suspicion in my mind. After the attendant and phone man left, I resumed talking to Mrs. Johnson to try and figure out what was going on. Then a woman in a lab coat came in and called out, Mrs. Johnson, I'm here to give you your treatment, her breathing treatment. Mrs. Johnson began to cry out the same thing to the therapist she had said to the phone man and to me. You've got to help me. They're trying to kill me. The therapist worked to calm Mrs. Johnson down. After she was calm, the therapist asked if she could talk to me for just a moment in the hallway. We walked down into the hall. She positioned herself to where I was between her and the attendance station where a couple of attendants hung out, located at the point where the main hallway teed into the halfway point on the length of our hallway. She kept looking at the attendants who were watching us to make sure their view of her face was blocked so they could not see her mouth to pick up the words she was saying. She asked me who I was and what my affiliation was with Mrs. Johnson. I told her my name and that I was Mrs. Johnson's pastor. She said, sir, I tend to believe that what Mrs. Johnson is saying is the truth. I asked her why she felt that way. She said that she was hearing the same thing from other patients in the nursing home and that the patients were on the opposite side of the facility where Mrs. Johnson would not have been able to reach. She said that if the officials there knew what she was telling me, that she would lose her job. She asked me if I knew the family. I told her that I knew Mrs. Johnson's caregiver. She said that I needed to call the caregiver and tell her that Mrs. Johnson is in a dangerous place and that she needed to be relocated as soon as possible. I said, okay. I went back in to tell Mrs. Johnson that I was going to call her caregiver and talk to them about what was going on. I turned her over to the therapist and left. I called Mrs. Johnson's caregiver and told them what had happened. They challenged me and said that they were told that Mrs. Johnson was having bouts of psychosis that she had been tested, and the psychiatrist said that she was losing her mind. I challenged this person with the assessment and told them what the therapist had said. The caregiver then asked me if I was saying that the psychiatrist was lying. The conversation was getting tense. I shifted gears and made it personal. I told the caregiver that what I was saying is that from what I could see, and based on the conversation with the healthcare professional that approached me unsolicited, that it was not a safe place, and that if it were me, I would move Mrs. Johnson. We finished the conversation. The next time I went to visit Mrs. Johnson, she was gone. I asked the attendants if they knew what happened to her. They told me she'd been moved. As soon as I left the building, I called one of my church members to ask them if they knew where Mrs. Johnson was, as she'd been moved. Fortunately, Mrs. Johnson was in regular contact with her friends, and they knew the location. So I went immediately to the new location and found Mrs. Johnson. She was in a much nicer nursing home, no stench, and aided by quality caregivers. Mrs. Johnson looked like a different person. She was clean and doing better physically. The desperation was gone. I told her she seemed to be doing so much better 
She said that she was in a nice place. Her frantic desperation had been given, had been driven by great fear. About that time, an attendant came in to check on Mrs. Johnson. Mrs. Johnson commented on how nice the caregivers were. The woman responded by saying how much they loved having Mrs. Johnson there as well. Fast forward. I'm on a stay-at-home vacation, or as they say, a staycation. My family had plans to attend one of the going megachurches in the Dallas-Fort Worth area on Sunday morning. I had heard great things about what was happening there and wanted to experience it for myself. Since Sunday was normally a work day for me as a pastor, and I was naturally blocked from attending someone else's Sunday morning worship service, I was excited to get the opportunity. When we woke up Sunday morning, my wife was not feeling well. She said that she didn't think that she was going to be able to go to church. I said that I really wanted to go ahead and go check out the big church if that was okay with her. She said that would be okay. So I took my youngest son with me and we went to the mega church. The church was known for providing awesome donuts called Krispy Kremes, along with complimentary coffee, cocoa, and juices. By the time my son and I got there, they had put away the beverages and donuts. He was bummed out. Free donuts and hot chocolates at church was a big deal to a kid. At the end of the service, we made our way through the sea of thousands of people, which was a mix of first service people heading to their cars and second service worship people just arriving. As we moved through the foyer, my son was talking about how disappointed he was that he didn't get any donuts. Someone overheard what he said and told us that if we would hang around for a few minutes, the volunteers would be bringing the donuts out and opening up the beverage kiosks. They said that the food was just put away at the start of the first service because they realized people were hanging around out in the foyer and not moving on in to the worship center. I told my son we could wait to see if they would bring out the food. As we were discussing the food, the volunteers started bringing the food out and the beverage kiosks reopened. We got the complimentary Krispy Kreme donuts and drinks. We went over to one of the cream and sugar counters where I could add some cream and sugar to my coffee. I took the plastic lid off my disposable insulated coffee cup, sat it to the right of my cup, and doctored up my drink. After prepping my drink, I reached out to pick up the white plastic lid. As I picked it up, I realized that there were now two lids sitting side by side, and I had picked up the one on the right. Realizing I had picked up someone else's lid, I turned to apologize for the the mistake of picking up their lid. I turned to my right to see two women standing there. I spoke to the woman closest to me and said, I'm so sorry, I think I picked up your lid. I know that's kind of gross. She looked at me and said that it was no problem. As I turned back to my drink, I had this overwhelming sense that I knew that woman. I turned back to look at her again, and she was staring at me. I told her, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be forward, but I think I know you, but I can't remember where I know you from. She said that she was just telling her friend that she thought she knew me, but that she felt that way a lot since the church was so big. We both stared at each other for a moment. Then I asked her, what do you do for a living? 
She said she was a respiratory therapist. At that moment, it hit me. I said, you're that woman who was at Mrs. Johnson's room that day. She had an overwhelming sense of shock visibly come over her. She looked straight at me and said, you're that pastor that was at her room that day. She asked me if Mrs. Johnson ever made it out of that nursing home. I said, yes, she had, and that all of her mania and frantic distress went away, that it really was the danger that she was in that put her in a panic. The woman told me she was not Mrs. Johnson's regular therapist and had only worked with her that one time as a fill-in for another therapist. I told the woman my story of the internal debate I went through that resulted in my unplanned stop that day. I told her, isn't it amazing how God brought both of us together in that place on that day to rescue Mrs. Johnson from danger? My friend, I ask you, what would be the odds of this encounter happening in that exact moment on that exact day, except for the work of a loving creator God who orchestrated all of this as a witness to the fact that he hears the desperate cries of the terrified and brokenhearted, and he moves people and things into action on their behalf. My friend, you and I really can count on God. Right now, April 2020, is a time of great confusion, misinformation, terror, hopelessness, and death. I, had the, I heard the governor of New York when questioned how it was that his call for so much equipment and beds had been so far off, so inflated. And then he made the statement that the doctors were wrong, the White House was wrong, the universities were wrong. He said that everyone had been wrong on their assessment of where this virus was taking us. They were wrong. All of the people that we are trusting to make the right decisions to save lives and rescue us from danger were wrong. What that says to me is that if you and I are to know peace— we must put our hope and trust in the God who is here. You can count on the God of creation to hear your cry when you call, and you can count on him to rescue you from danger. Until next time, my friend, I bid you peace.